and I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're talking KU football. We got a, another position preview update on Jalen Daniels. Uh, Matt Tate is going to join us at 340. Kevin Flaherty is going to join us at 440. Four RCST football trivia matchups, and we have a bunch of KU football audio. Wait, how many trivia matchups? Four. What? I know. That's insane. Four. Four. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Sounds like uh, my golf game. Okay. Uh, four. <laughs> Jalen like Daniels. Sounds like the Wendy's four to me. Was ooh, that's another good. Maybe that okay. Uh, we'll we'll table this for later. The best, <laughs> best fours, best things that are related to the number four. Uh, I'll mark that down things? for later. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. We'll we'll do that another day. Anyway, uh, Jalen Daniels. There was a video of him actually throwing in the beginning portion of practice. Now, um, that doesn't mean that he actually like participated in the scrimmage drills or anything like that. He might have. I don't know. I'm just saying we don't know. But yeah. we do know at the very least he was back in pads throwing, so that's probably a good sign back to yesterday. Probably not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, based off of what happened this morning, I am now convinced that KU was just like, you know what, let's take a day off and let's try not to draw any attention to it and hopefully no one notices. But then people did notice, so then they were like, oh, crap, we got to go like explain it a little bit now. When really he's fine all along. Mm-hmm. That was my takeaway. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. I think that's fair. I, I thought it was a little bit bigger of a deal, not from the standpoint of the actual injury. I just thought it was a uh, kind of a big deal because the whole offseason was centered around making Jalen Daniels bulletproof, and immediately yeah. it's like, well, no, maybe yeah. that's not quite possible. Yeah, that's, um, that, that is, I guess, a fair argument. Yeah. You know, when you say, I'm going to make something bulletproof, and then within like four days... Yeah, you already have like a minor. Yeah. Even you know, no matter how minor it is, you have something. Right. right? It's like uh, you know, you, you get like a new uh, case for your phone, and then you, you it, oh. it's the unbreakable case. Yeah. And you drop it, and your and phone it's already, case still like, cracks, nicked up or something. And you're like, well, yeah. I can still use the phone. It's just one small crack here. It's not going to affect anything. We'll be fine. But also, it's like, well, but this also clearly wasn't an unbreakable case. So, uh, but that is good yeah. news that he's back at practice. So there was the update. It feels there. like it sounds like you have personal experience with unbreakable cases and then them breaking. Yeah, I have all sorts of... Dude, I've dropped my phone so many times. I had one time where I literally was in the process of taking my phone out of the case to clean it and, and it clean the case. And exploded. as I opened it, it fell and cracked and broke. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had many things like that happen to me. Uh, wow. We're going to do the linebacker preview to start things off here. Uh, we we kind of had to have a hiatus from some of our position previews because some of the KU basketball stuff, Jalen Daniels stuff. Um, so let's start here. The starters for the linebacker group. The Hawk, if you want to call it a linebacker, you want to call it a safety. I think they also refer to it sometimes as the Cinco when it's the uh, nickel package because that's your fifth kind of DB guy. Um, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, Craig Young, redshirt senior, and then pick two of three. I think we both know which way we're leaning at this point. I'm just leaving it open for later in the season, but 
Rich Miller, who's a senior, Taiwan Barry Hill, who's a junior, and then J.B. Brown, who's a junior and uh, transferred in from Bowling Green. At this point in time, feels like it's just going to be the same starting lineup as it was last year. Craig Young at the Hawk, Rich Miller, Taiwan Barry Hill as your other two starting linebackers, and then J.B. Brown kind of taking the place of, I guess, Lorenzo McCaskill, Eric Gilliard being the guy who rotates in. But again, I, I, I do like the talent of J.B. Brown that it would not shock me if midway through the year he was eventually a starter. Do you feel like J.B. Brown has a higher upside than Lorenzo McCaskill or Eric Gilliard did? Oh, well, I guess. So yeah. I think there's two ways to look at this question. There, like, yeah. At this stage last year, August 8th of last year, I think you probably would have said you felt better about Lorenzo McCaskill, right? For year one, yes, because McCaskill was just while. on a Louisiana team that was like top 25 uh, yeah. the past two years. Um, but also the beauty with J.B. Brown is you do get multiple years left. Yeah. So I think the long-term potential is higher from that standpoint. What about just for this season? Just for this season, you would have said— Because like, like basically the, the, the point being— J.B. Brown essentially is replacing, like you alluded to, that Lorenzo McCaskill-Gilliard role. Do you feel better or worse about that, about him replacing that that role? From what we know now, I feel good about it. You feel good? Because you didn't end up getting a ton from either of those guys. Now, they were both you know solid rotational pieces, but I guess my point is it's not inconceivable that J.B. Brown couldn't provide the same level of play that those guys did. Uh, we've we've heard good things from Rich Miller and other players that he's one of the hardest hitters on the team. Obviously, there's more yep. to that than linebacker. You know, you got to read the hole. You got to shed blockers. You got to be able to drop back and, and get into pass coverage at times. And uh, those are all questions there. He had good grades, though, on, on pro football focus. Um, again, take those with a grain of salt. But I don't know, man. I, I like J.B. Brown. I, I think there's something there. Yeah, I, I do, too. I just I just wonder, looking at it from that perspective of, like, if he is, if it's basically like a one-for-one one trade mm-hmm. of J.B. Brown replacing Lorenzo McCaskill slash Eric Gilliard, at this, when you get to the end of the season, what's that production going to look like? Is it going to be sure. the same? Is it going to be, is J.B. Brown going to be able to play a little bit more? Uh, you know, the issue with Lorenzo McCaskill, which we knew it was an issue, but I don't think we really grasped how big of an issue it might be, was just the fact that he came late, right? And that kind of delayed him having an impact until later in the season. Mm-hmm. So with J.B. Brown, maybe he doesn't have that issue and he's able to make an impact earlier and therefore his production is better. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. because, And obviously if J.B. Brown has the potential to be like maybe supplant one of those guys, Barry Hill or Miller, as a starter, then at that point certainly he has a higher upside than than what you got out of the, out of the other guys. There is an element of this group was, while better last year from where it was 2021, you still probably had the... I mean, by pro football focus grades, you had the worst, uh, you know, linebacker group in the Big 12 last season. And again, you did make jumps from where you were the year before, so you hope you make similar jumps this year. But there is an element of if this guy is new, there's almost a hope of like, well, the known quantity did not do well enough last year. Let's see what the new guy can do because the other thing we have the answer to already, I guess. Uh, but who knows? Maybe both those guys with Miller and Barry Hill take another step up this year, and you don't even need J.B. Brown for this year, and he eventually replaces Rich Miller in 2024, and he's more of a backup this year. Now, uh, other guys that are on the two deep, obviously one of those three, probably J.B. Brown. For the Hawk, I think Jason Gilliam uh, might be my favorite right now to be the backup at the Hawk position. He's a redshirt sophomore, came in as a safety, uh, has kind of moved into that role, which is fine. And then— uh, If I'm not mistaken, he had a dealt with a pretty— uh, 
season-ending injury, I think, yeah. a couple years ago, right? I think he just I, – I thought the injury was, like, preseason last year, but he okay. came back during, like, the bowl practices or something. I, I could be off on that. Yeah. He did have an injury, though, at some point. And then it's a competition, I think, for that other spot on the two-deep. Uh, Cornell Wheeler, you could convince me of him, the former transfer from Michigan. Heard good things from the players about him starting to get things clicking. Logan Brantley heard really good reviews about Logan him. Logan Brantley's been getting a lot of a lot of talk. My uh, question there the is coaches. the weight perspective. He came in at 205 pounds. I don't remember exactly who it was that used this term, but somebody described him as slippery. Okay. In terms of being tough to block... Tough to get your hands on him because he's just a, fast. Yeah, or, or he's just he's just good at shedding blocks. Basically. What are your thoughts on a linebacker wearing number sixteen? By the way, uh, I'm fine with that. You're fine with it. I mean, Craig Young wears fifteen. Yeah, but also he's like a safety, sort mm, of. He's more of a linebacker than a safety, don't you think? Probably. <laughs> yeah. So then, if you're fine with fifteen, you got to be fine with sixteen, okay. right? But Brantley's listed at two hundred. So who wait, wait, who's pounds. wearing sixteen? Brantley. Brantley. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so Brantley is wearing, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Brantley is 211 pounds. So you look at the other linebackers. Taiwan yeah. Berryhill is 230. Um, let's see, Tristan Fletcher's 225. Rich Miller's probably 240, right? 230. Rich Miller's 230. Dylan Downing 235. JB Brown's 230. You probably need to add, like, if you look at some of the Hawk guys, Gilliam's 215, Craig Young's 225. But that's again a little different. I I'm kind of wondering if with Brantley. You need kind of a buffer a year, year for him to add, you know, 10, 15 pounds onto him. And if that's what ends up being this year, I do actually have high hopes for Logan Brantley down the road. I just, I wonder if that holds him back at all in, uh, in how year do you one. feel about the term slippery? Uh, I think it's a fine term. I just don't normally relate it. I, I normally think of like slippery as like a running back or like a slot receiver. Well, it's the same, it's the same process. It's you're slippery. So you, nobody can really get their hands on you. So you can get away from blocks. You I can, guess. you know, stuff like that. I don't know that that's as good of a thing as linebacker. I don't remember who said it. It might have been Rich Miller. Okay. Somebody said it. about Somebody used that word to describe him. Uh, you also have Tristian Fletcher, former Juco transfer. He's a redshirt sophomore now. I think he redshirted last year. Donovan Gaines, same thing, redshirt sophomore. Uh, Krishan Brown, maybe redshirt sophomore. Alex Reich, who is the uh, – he's like Swedish or something like that. He transferred from a, a Juco. He was playing a good amount with the twos and threes during the spring showcase. Kind of an athletic, maybe more of the hawk role, like safety linebacker type. So I think any of those could win that that two deep spot. Honestly, my my if I were you know placing a betting favorite right now, I'd probably go JB Brown, Jason Gilliam, and then uh, Cornell Wheeler. Probably my guess right now, but I don't feel yeah. great about that. Well, if I remember right, Cornell Wheeler, what didn't he make some big plays on special teams last year? Um, some tackles, maybe. Yeah, maybe. He was a former like four-star recruit, transferred in from Michigan. Yeah. And then you also have Dylan Downing, redshirt sophomore, Cole Mondi, redshirt sophomore, or redshirt junior for Dylan Downing, and uh, Ezra Vadral, a freshman, as others on the roster. Uh, so the biggest story and uh, question mark for this linebacker group. I think for me, the first question, how much is continuity? How much is having all these guys back? You know, J.B. Brown, obviously, in addition, but all these other players are are – Returning outside of, I guess, Logan Brantley, too, and, and Ezra Vidral. Um, how much is that worth at this position? How much is just having another year of experience and, and adding weight? How much is that worth to this unit being better? Well, I think when you look at Rich Miller and him being that linebacker position, being one of the leaders, I mean, listen, that's like that's like the almost the equivalent of being the quarterback of the defense, right, in that position. So I think having a guy who has his head on the swivel, definitely knows the playbook, has a lot of experience, is really useful for KU. Uh, but I do think, there to me, there is a question of, what I mean, what's the ceiling for these guys? What's 
I mean, what's the max potential you're going to get out of a guy like Rich Miller or a guy like Tywan Berry Hill? And is and is that potential good enough mm-hmm. for them to keep improving? I don't know. That's tough to say. Uh, you know, it's it's the age old question of if you have everybody back but they all stink, then what do you have back, right? I'm not saying these guys stink. I'm just saying like this has been consistently, like you highlighted, the worst linebacker group in the Big Twelve. Yeah, for the past probably. What at this point three four years. years at least yeah, three, three four, four years, yeah. I mean going back to like the days of Gavin Potter they were the worst. Then you go to last year and again last year there was a legitimate improvement from the year before. I don't think there's any denying that. But because you were so bad the year before, the improvement last year it wasn't anything that was like eye popping. You know what I mean? So that's the question I have here is what what's what's these guys ceiling? What's their what's their max level? And can they somehow get to that or even go beyond that a little with their play? Because, uh, listen, Rich Miller is a fantastic player, a fantastic individual. Every time he st- speaks to the media, he just he always says the right things. He always does the right things. He's definitely a great leader. He's definitely one of the, one of the major voices in that locker room, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There's no questioning that. And that in and of itself is certainly worth a lot, especially when you have a team like Kansas where, you know – I, I thought about this recently. You have kind of this weird mix of, and I think this kind of goes back to last year. I remember with Sam Burt, uh, who was a guy that was kind of that a veteran player for KU. You still have this kind of weird mix of there are still guys on this roster that remember that were a part of this team when it was still struggling, when it was still you know bottom of the barrel, you know a team that was hoping to win one, two, three games, right? But now you have this, you have Lance Leipold, you have a bunch of these other guys that have come in and their expectations are much higher. And with that mix, I think it's interesting because you uh, I think it I think it almost keeps some of the other guys grounded because it's like, hey, listen, we're 2 years removed from being basically laughing stock of a power 5 football. I mean, we're not that far we're not that far from that. So, a guy like Rich Miller, I think from that standpoint, that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. But what's his what what is he and Tywan Berryhill going to bring on the field? I don't know. Can they can they take a, another serious step forward? With Craig Young, I have a lot of confidence that he's going to make an impact. I have a lot of confidence with Craig Young. The thing with Craig Young is I think he's going to get his stats. The question is, is it going to be like valuable stats, or is it going to be more of a situation where he's just the only guy making tackles, and that's why he has so many tackles? That's one of those things with linebackers that I think makes it hard to judge from just a, a fan perspective that – you know, you could have a guy who has 12 tackles and you look at the stat sheet and you're like, what do you mean this guy didn't do good enough? He had 12 tackles today. That's awesome, right? But um, a lot of times it's the tackles you don't have, the plays that you get washed out in the running game from a guard coming up to the second level and you don't even, you know, get a touch or, or close down a hole and it just leads to some opening or, uh, you know, messing up on a pass coverage or something that you don't necessarily see on the stat sheet that makes it tough to kind of evaluate that position I think from a fan perspective, but I I do think that is worth something. Like when I think of the defense, the quarterback of the defense tends to be like the middle linebacker. Yes, having experience, knowing where everybody should be, knowing the plays, having comfortability. Yeah, you generally want that. You generally yes. want that position to be one of your leaders. And like in this when, case for KU, it definitely is. When I'm thinking about experience mattering on the defensive side of the ball, I would argue that linebacker and safety are probably the positions that you would care most about it. I almost view it with like. With defensive line, if you're just talented, you're just talented. 
You know what I mean? Like experience always helps. I'm not trying to say experience doesn't help. I'm saying the most though at those positions. Whereas with defensive line, we see freshman defensive ends coming in all the time. Uh, you know, at SEC schools who are these five star guys and they just go right. Uh, same thing kind of for corners. Sometimes you're just an athletic freak. You're six two. You run a four three forty, and you know you're just going to be really good based off that. Those positions to me matters a lot. So I, I do think it is worth something real here, especially when you look at. Uh, in past years, KU, part of them struggling to linebackers, they've been undersized there. So having year three in the program to get more size, more weight to the system is very helpful. Um, can you just not be worst, the, the worst in the Big 12? Can you just not be the worst uh, unit here of linebackers in the Big 12? If they can be 8th, ninth, 10th in the Big 12, you're probably going to feel good about the direction of the defense. Yeah, that would be significant. Because, I mean, you got 14 teams now in the conference, mm -hmm. so... I think we had this discussion a while back. With more teams in the conference, does that make it easier or harder to not be the worst? It just depends because you don't know the reference point. You don't know, like, like last year, hypothetically, if you just did add Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU to the mix, would Kansas still have been 14th last year? Or would they have been 10th? Because if they would have been 12th last year, then them being 12th this year, you'd be like, well, they were last last year. They were not last <laughs> this year. But it's like, no, they would have been 12th last year. So, yeah, it is, <laughs> it is hard to know without uh, actually knowing how those teams would have kind of factored in. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. You, you need jumps, though, from, from the guys you have. Yeah, Craig Young is the guy to me that has the best, like, all-conference potential with his athleticism and everything. Rich Miller can be kind of the rock of the defense as the leader. I think yeah. Taiwan Berryhill has another level he can get to because last year was, you know, we talked to him a lot in the offseason last year, and last year was kind of a, a uh, moment for him in the offseason leading up to it of, like, he kind of talked about everything clicking finally and that – understanding what you need to do to prepare and from a film study and working hard, working extra times, all that hard work pays off, but it takes time. It's not just going to happen overnight. So maybe yeah. with another year of him doing all that, this is the year he takes a step up. Maybe JB Brown can just be that guy. Maybe one of these other guys can kind of jump up. Uh, so confidence scale on the linebacker position. Do you feel better, worse, or the same about this position than last year? Mm, I feel, I feel pretty much the same. I, mean, I think it's hard to feel worse, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't really feel worse. I feel pretty much the same. I and I basically in that I'm expecting them to be like consistent, but I'm not really expecting anybody to do anything crazy except for maybe Craig Young. I mean, if Craig Young can tack on a bunch of sacks and and be sort of that that type of player, that that makes me feel a lot better. But right now, I think I'd have to f say I feel pretty much the same. I mean, there's nothing. Like, there's nothing that makes me go, wow, this is going to be way better. But there's also nothing that makes me think, wow, this is going to be, you know, worse. You've got veteran guys back. You've got talent back with Craig Young. You've brought in J.B. Brown. But, again, I think that the question with J.B. Brown is obviously the unknown The unknown for him is the fact that you you had guys like Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill last year. You swapped them out basically for J.B. Brown. What's that going to look like? Right. So, for that reason, I think I've had to feel pretty much the same right now. Yeah, I definitely don't think you can say worse. I definitely don't think you can do that because yeah. I mean it's possible they could take a step back. But is it though? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you already last in the Big Twelve. You have all three of your starters back, <laughs> and in the case of Craig Young, it's another year in the program after you transferred in. In the case of um, Taiwan Berryhill, you were still an underclassman rat last year. Like, shouldn't you make a jump as an as a? You would think. Uh, you know, older player. That's why I'm saying same. I'm not, I didn't say worse. Yeah. No, I'm just saying I, I don't see the argument for worse, to be honest, because I also view it as 
JB Brown to me, yeah, that can just fill in for what you got McCaskill and Gilliard. I do think Gilliard um came in with some injuries that, you know, harped him being the same guy he was maybe at UCF before then. And then I also view it as like the guys who are maybe your your linebackers, I don't know, five through ten, like your third and fourth strings, I think undoubtedly are better than what they were last year or the year before. So I think That's to me true. this group is is at least the same, if not slightly better. If I do say it's better though, I don't feel like it's like leaps and bounds better. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. It, but it'd, again, it'd be like marginal. The same, if you're saying same, you're saying worst among the original Big T- Big Twelve yeah. members and probably twelfth or thirteenth or fourteenth. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know where to go on this one, to be honest. I'm so sticking with same. We've pretty much said on the offense everything was same or better. Um Defensive line, said, defensive tackle. I said, said sneaky better. I you said, said same. same. Defensive end, we both worse, said worse. worse. Linebacker, cer- I'm certainly worse on the defensive end after yeah. Brian Borland, after hearing from Brian Borland. Yeah, the the safe call is to say same. I, I'm going to say same at linebacker. So we're on the same page there. Yeah. All right, we got the uh, DBs to get <laughs> same to. on the same page. Corners and safeties coming up in the uh, future shows. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate joins us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And we're joined now by Matt Tate, uh, who is fresh off a trip to Puerto Rico and uh, off the plane here. You can check out all Matt's work covering KU for R1S1, powered by Perpetual Sports Network. Uh, Matt, I guess first things first, did you have fun in Puerto Rico? Did you do anything cool? Um, I was there, and that in and of itself was cool. So, yes, I had fun. <laughs> um, it's a cool place, man. I, I don't know if it's uh, on your list at all, but if it isn't, you should put it on there. It was easy to get to. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's paradise. And it was, uh, it had a really cool vibe. The cool thing too, you know, it feels like you're, it feels like you're away. Um, but you're also not, you know, so you went, it, it felt like you went somewhere exotic and foreign and all that, which it very much is, but everything that works here works there. You don't need a passport. Your phone's easy. Everything else works easy. I mean, it was that part of it made it really cool. Part of the fun of traveling is, you know, experiencing different cultures but when it's a short trip like that it, it's awesome when it's just smooth like that so a lot of beach time a lot of basketball time a lot of good food um yeah it was great man i'll go back for sure uh whether KU's there or not we just wrote a piece with r1s1sports.com uh talking about some of the most memorable moments what stood out uh, among the exhibition games and the tour in Puerto Rico for KU. Uh, let's start with the player. What what was the player you were maybe most impressed with, whether you want to go for an obvious answer or somebody that maybe you found yourself more impressed with than you might have thought beforehand? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think it was just seeing what we've heard about with Kevin McCuller. Um, there, there's been nothing but good reports about how he's looked this offseason and this summer since he decided to come back, but... Um, you know, when you see it in a, in a game setting like that, and, and obviously he got the opportunity to guard a couple of NBA guys and, and really took that seriously and took that to heart and and really gave it his, his everything. I mean, the guy was gassed after those games, and, and he played so hard, and, you know, he's, he's trying to make sure he took advantage of that opportunity. So um, it's going to be hard 
to convince me that that he's going to be exactly Ochai and Jalen, um, because those guys just scored so well and scored so much, and their scoring was so important. And uh, you know, I don't know if his will get to that level or if he'll be needed to because he's on a deeper team probably than either one of those guys were in their in their big years. But scoring aside, when you when you look at him, he has that vibe. He's carrying that that um, that the, the I don't want to call it a burden by any means because it's an honor, it's a privilege. He's carrying this this uh, torch, I guess, of of hey you know, I'm kind of the vet here. I, I, I'm going to take this serious. I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to bring others along with me. And, and you know, K.J. Adams does the same thing. DeJuan Harris does the same thing. It's not like Kevin's the only guy on this team, nor were those guys the only guy on their team. But there's one that always sets himself above the rest, and, and those two did, and, and he appears to be well on his way to doing so. I mean, he just – his focus, he's locked in, he, he looks – more physically uh, put together, he looks. He looks more locked in with his mental side of everything. I mean, he just he, he's here for one reason, and that's to win every game and and create a, a nice future for himself in the NBA. So, pretty cool to see that since we've heard that over the last several weeks. Okay, so beyond the individual side of things, from a team side of things, what was maybe your biggest takeaway? in terms of the style of play or, or what this Kansas team could excel at or look like this year? Yeah, man, these guys are just so fast when they when they get going. Um, you know, when you think about the lineups they can put out there and, and he, even a guy like K.J. Adams, I mean, I already think it's unfair to have McCullough and Harris and Arterio Morris out there playing defense and creating turnovers and, you know, picking up when, when teams cross half court and just making it hell for those guys. Um, but when you consider that K.J. Adams, especially pound for pound and, and for his position, is is every bit as athletic and good defensively as those guys are and then can also turn on a dime and get out and go and play transition the other way and all that. I mean, that, that's four guys right there that, that, are, that are flat out nasty in transition and um, they're not the only ones, you know. El Marco, once he settles in, can play that style. It, I, I believe that Johnny Furphy, when he gets here, will fit right into that. Um, you know, even Nick Timberlake. Nick Timberlake was a little bit of a surprise to me because um, I, I knew he was more athletic than people kind of give him credit for. I knew he was more than just a shooter, but he was really good in transition. Uh, he's really fast and. He changes direction quickly, and and it, it's 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 not any you know wondering or guessing or waiting with him when he's out running the break or, or getting guys going. I mean, he 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 puts it down just as much as those guys do, and, and the pedals all the way to the floor, and, and he can go and he can finish in transition, and you know, so he was a, he was a little bit of a surprise in that way, um, especially in transition. But um, yeah, that's what six seven guys right there that are. Uh, are really good in transition. So that definitely stood out and uh and I think they'll do that a lot. I think that'll that'll be a part of their their attack this year. I think they'll turn teams over a lot and and try to just get out and go and and, and I think they'll have a lot of success doing it. But the other thing, I mean, it was game 2 um you know, when KJ and and Hunter Dickinson were 
were connecting with each other for lobs and catching them and throwing them and and then you've got Dewan and, and Kevin McCuller who can throw them to those guys and initiate the lob actions and all that. I mean, that was pretty dynamic too. I, I thought that was uh you know, teams are gonna scout that and it's gonna be it's gonna be a little harder than it was and, and case in point, the Bahamas team did that. I mean, after getting torched on the lobs in game two they didn't give up one in game three, and that's because they they scouted it and, and took it away. So it won't ever probably look quite like that, but, but it's there. And, and I think that that is incredible because there aren't very many teams in the country that have their four and their five that can play that style and, and do it so effectively. You mentioned Johnny Furphy there, and he'll join the team at some point here after they uh, get back home today. What do you envision his role to be? Because I, I found it very interesting that, I don't know, some of the you know post-game comments from Bill Self on interviews and stuff, talking about him being a part of the rotation. And um, I guess if, if you're going to include him in the rotation, what does that mean for somebody else? Uh, I, I don't know. What do you envision his role being and, and how that could affect the rotation and the lineup for KU? Yeah, well, first off, he was talked about this week more that I've ever seen for a player who wasn't even there. I mean, self mentioned him a bunch, as you talked about there. Um, you know, other people with the program were talking about him, what what he's like, what they think. What, what I mean, it was it was incredible. He he just kept coming up, and and understandably so. He did just just commit and just sign, so it was fresh and all that. But I get the feeling that they uh, they believe they really found one there, and. Um, his role will be pretty big. I I don't know. I don't know if he can close the gap enough. Um, you know, he's been gone all, all summer, obviously, and, and these guys have had a chance to, to work together and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if in, in limited time he can close the gap enough to become a starter. Um, but I think his skill set warrants consideration as a starter. And if he doesn't close that gap, then I think – um, you know, he's going to be right in there and play a ton of minutes. Uh, he, he brings a lot, uh, especially on offense. I don't really know anything about him defensively yet, but I do think he fits into that same style of just length and athleticism and, you know, create a little chaos and turn it into offense by running. You know, he, he can do that for sure uh, and benefit from others doing that too. So, um yeah, I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that I wonder with him is I, coming away from Puerto Rico, I still think Artario Morris starts. That, that's kind of where it is for me. And I think El Marco Jackson, once he gets going, settles in a little bit more. He showed some really good stuff, and then he showed some really bad stuff, and that's what you'd expect from a freshman. You know, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, but I, I think once he settles in, he, he's another guy that, that's just going to be automatic rotation kind of guy and, you know, be able to fill a couple of spots as we've talked about in the past. So for me, it's, it's a big question of how do, how do Timberlake and, and Furphy coexist? And I think they can. I don't think it's a matter of one or the other. Um, but really separates where the one guy who separates himself is a 25 minutes a game kind of guy and the other gets 10 or something like that, you know? So, uh, but the bottom line is it's very clear that self loves adding Furphy for the depth part of it. And the 
flexibility and the different options and the different lineups and and uh, yeah, it makes them better and and I think they're really really excited about it. Yeah, I just wonder how it all fits in because I don't know. You, you start running out of minutes when you know you allot you 30, 35 to Dewan, 15, 20, 25 Del Marco, Artario, Timberlake, Kevin getting thirty. Like, I'll just be interested to see how how that used him. I don't know. Maybe that means that. Uh, Parker Brown would be out of the rotation and you give more minutes to KJ at the backup five and that allows you to play more Kevin at the four and gives you more minutes at the wing or something like that. That That's uh, kind of yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, the easy way would be would be to, to take, you know, to take all those guys and cut their minutes into the mid to upper 20s and everybody just plays that kind of that kind of style. And, and you know, as, as easy as that looks on paper and as much as that seems like, hey, that'd keep everybody fresh and all that, um, Bill Self's been here 20 years, yeah. and we haven't seen him do that yet. You know, even even teams that have been pummeling teams have been, you know, the, the Devontae Grahams and Frank Masons of the world have been in in the last three minutes when they're up 20 even. You know, he just he just doesn't do that. And so that would make sense, and that would be a good approach at a lot of places, but I don't think that's one we'll ever see at Kansas um, unless it's Unless, you know, wear and tear or some sort of nagging injury or something like that creates the necessity. But I, I, I don't think I don't think we'll see it and I, I think you're right. You run out of minutes in a hurry. Absolutely. Yeah, the closest I can think of is that twenty ten, eleven Kansas team. I mean Marcus Morris was Big Twelve player of the year. He only played twenty eight and a half minutes per game. I think the leader that year was Tyrell Reed who played 28.7 minutes per game. So, I don't know, maybe it could be something like that, but you're, you're right. It's hard to think that it would actually be that way with Bill Self. Now, uh, Dewan Harris um, had a very different first two games to his third game. Two points, nine assists in each of the first two games. And then he goes aggressive scoring, has 23 points in the third game to two assists. Which of those versions of Dewan Harris do you think we are more likely to see over the course of the season, or do you think that is what we will see, that there will be some games where it is just like all assists, and then there's just the random games in there that he is going to score, you know, 15, 20 points? Yeah, that's probably the answer, um, the, the last part of that. So you gave me the bailout answer. But but if I had to pick, I would I would pick that, that it's going to be the what, what we saw the first two games, you know. The guy loves to pass the ball. He doesn't need to shoot. Teams are going to dare him to shoot. His teammates and coaches are going to tell him to shoot. It's, you know, the broken record of sorts. And we've been seeing this with him for, for the last couple of years. And I think it's great when you see him have a game like he did yesterday. And that was a product of, of the Bahamas approach. They wanted him to, to beat him. They wanted him to shoot. And he made him. You know, so um, I, for me, the the, the the sort of perfect Dewan kind of lands right in between there. I don't, I don't know that you want the two points nine assist guy. I mean, um, you know that's great. Nine assists is wonderful, but he's got to score more than two. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I also don't think you want him to feel like or ever be in a position to consistently have to score eighteen to twenty five. I mean, I just don't think that's necessary at all. So the the, the the ideal Dewan Harris line is probably somewhere in the, uh, you know, eight to twelve points and seven assists and three or four steals. And it, it wouldn't shock me if in six months or whatever it is we're talking here on your show and and we look at his averages and that's what they are. I mean, you know, they play a lot of games, so it may very well average out to that. But I do think that he has to score and be a threat which we've heard for years now. 
Um, but I don't, I don't think with this team, the way it's, the way it's constructed, I, I don't think anybody should want him to have uh, 20 point games on the regular by any means. And it's great that he can do it. And, and this team has um, four, five, six guys that, that probably can do that, which speaks to their, their depth and, and versatility and just how, you know, dynamic and dangerous they are. Um, but again, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that that's the, the right recipe for this team because I just think that everybody, they're, they're going to be at their best when everybody's a little bit involved rather than one guy's really involved. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I guess part of that depends on how many points they score, right? I mean, if it's a team that averages 96 points a game or something crazy, then there's more room for everybody to score more. Um, but if they're in the 70s, then, yeah, you don't need to want to have 23 of those. But I, I thought he looked great yesterday. Um, I, I loved his mentality. I, I don't think that I don't think it's like a, a a puzzle or anything that's difficult for him to understand. He gets it. You know, they've been telling him to shoot for years and and be more aggressive on offense, and and he understands clearly why that's important and that he should do that. And so, you know, it's just a matter of making that second nature for him. But the guy's a wizard with the ball, and he loves to get other guys involved, and he he's such a great passer, and and he has fun doing that. You know, it, it's 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 hard to tell a guy to stop doing that when when it's one of his best skills and he likes it so much. So for me, the the the, the one that, that KU fans should want to see is somewhere right in the middle of those two. Um, but if you have to pick one, I, I I would honestly I would probably take the 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 two and nine guy over the other guy. I just think there's plenty of guys that can score on this team, and and as long as he's kind of running it all and keeping everybody where they need to be and getting guys the ball where they need to get it, then he's doing his job whether he's scoring or not. He is Matt Tate. Check him out with uh, Perpetual Sport Net- Sports Network R1S1. The official site is R1S1Sports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, and uh, safe driving back home. All right, man. Thanks for uh, yeah having me on. It fit perfect timing. That was beautiful. So uh, I'm going to go eat uh, a bunch of American food now for a while. The Puerto Rican stuff was wonderful, though. And I'm telling you, put it on your list. Go down there. It was really cool. All right. We'll put it on there. He's Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. One hour down, two to go. we got four trivia matchups coming up. Our first two will come up in the 4 o'clock hour. Then we'll have Kevin Flaherty on of 24-7 Sports. The next two in the 5 o'clock hour, KU Football Audio. All that and more. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on 4 o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, RCST football trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. We have uh, four matchups today. We're going to get to two of them here this hour. The other two we'll get to in the 5 o'clock hour because Kevin Flaherty is going to join us at 440 here. RCST trivia brought to you by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash. McDonald's in the Lawrence area. I had some McDonald's for uh, lunch today. I love their soda fountain. That's one of the low-key things about the McDonald's. The McDonald's Sprite, McDonald's Powerade, McDonald's. I got high C orange today. Nothing hits better than McDonald's Sprite. That's for sure. And you can get your car wash too at Mr. D's Auto Wash right across the street. So we got number eight, Andrew Wymore against Colton New. This is going to determine a division winner. Yeah, a very exciting matchup, and you love to see it when you have late-season matchups that matter. Everyone bemoans, oh, the the regular season still needs to matter. The regular season matters on RCST (laughs) Football Trivia. That's right, it does. All right, well, let's uh, get into our first matchup of the day.
We've got a top 10 opponent going here, Andrew Wymore, taking on Colton New, who just missed out on the top 10 this week. And this is a a winner-take-all game in the Brewery Conference as part of one of our Tuesday divisions. Both Andrew and Colton sit at 1-0 in conference play, both at 1-1 overall. And uh, Andrew set himself up well with total points, but... Um, it's going to be tough for one and two teams to make it, especially after yesterday. We had two teams emerge as two and one teams for possible wild card selections. So this game means a lot for both of you guys. Colton, I want to start with you. Um, you uh, got your first win last week. What did you think about your performance? Uh, I think it was all right. I always got the win, so not complaining. Yeah, that's for sure. Andrew, uh, you've scored 25 points, which is one of the highest totals, I, I think that's fourth among everybody who's gone so far through two weeks of play. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like you, you've done really well so far in this event. Obviously, the you know the loss is unfortunate being a part of that, but the total points, the total body of work has been pretty good. How have you felt about what you've done so far through uh, two weeks of trivia? Yeah, you know, all you do is players uh, in front of you, and you are what your record is. A great man once said. So I'd say I'm about 500. Yeah. That's how I feel. That is true. Well, uh, Colton, we we have some uh, uh, good news for you. I believe for your love of Johnny's Tavern, you are getting a $25 gift card to Johnny's no matter what. How about that? Oh, wow. Thank you. All right. That's pretty awesome. All right. So, uh, Colton, you're the unranked team here. I'm going to give you the option on the coin. Do you want heads or tails? I love Johnny's Tavern. <laughs> Colton's uh, been all on him on uh, social media. I'll take heads. All right. Heads it is. <laughs> all right. It is tails, though. So, Andrew, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? First. All right. Uh, we'll start in the first quarter of play. These are the easy questions. There were three points. Andrew, your first question. Name a Kansas quarterback who has started a game for Lance Leipold. Jalen Daniels. That's right. And uh, Colton, quick follow-up for your question, because Jalen Daniels is correct. Name another quarterback who has started a game for Lance Leipold at Kansas. Well, that'd be Jason Bean. That would be Jason Bean. He was the other one. Those are the uh, two answers. I don't think Miles Kendrick or Ethan Vasco ever started a game, but those are the the, uh, two so far. Okay, Andrew, back to you. Into the medium round, second quarter. These are worth six points. This Jayhawk running back wore the number 10 uniform and racked up over 1,700 yards in his career from 2016 through 2019. Tony Pearson? Nope. Pearson had graduated, I don't know, 2016 maybe. The correct answer on this one is Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert, now a member of the uh, Chicago Bears. All right, Colton, you got a chance to take the lead here in the medium round. Your question. This Jayhawk wide receiver wore the number two uniform and racked up just under 600 receiving yards in his KU career from 2016 through 2019 after transferring into the program. Stephon Robinson? 
That's a good guess. It's that same group of receivers that had a really good year with uh, Carter Stanley. But the right answer this time is Dalen Charlotte, the former Alabama transfer. He was really talented, but uh, struggled to stay on the field for uh, David Beatty for whatever reason. All right, Andrew, your next question in the hard round. This is worth seven points. What running back owns the KU career record for most rushing yards per attempt on minimum 500 carries? John Cornish. Ah, when you when you said John, I thought you had it. The right answer is John Riggins. Rigo was the right answer on that one. All right, Colton, your next question. See if you can go in front. This Jayhawk quarterback became the first Kansas quarterback to throw for a touchdown in six consecutive games. Would that be... What's his name? Shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Um, would that be Todd Reesing? Todd Reesing probably did it, but the keyword here was first, and the first one to do it was Bobby Douglas back in the day oh. for uh, KU. Those are some tough, hard ones. All right, it's three to three still, so somebody can uh, angle out the really hard question. You're going to probably win your division here. Andrew, back to you for eight points. This Jayhawk became the first to be named academic All-Big 12 first team four times in his career, doing so from 1997 through 2000. Yeah, I got nothing. Um... <laughs> 10 seconds. Johnny Beck. Right answer is Tim Bowers. I don't know if that name means anything to you. Okay. Colton, you can win it on this one, but good luck because it is really hard. All right, Colton, your question. This Jayhawk became the second to be academic all Big 12 first team four times in his career, doing so from 1998 to 2001. Um, I don't know. <laughs> All right. The correct answer there is Brandon Weir. Brandon Weir, the right answer. All right, so that means it's three to three. So that means we're going to have overtime, and the winner of this overtime is clinching a spot in the postseason by default of winning the division. So, uh, Colton, I give you the first coin toss. Andrew, I'm going to give you this second coin toss real quick. Let me go over the rules again in overtime here. Andrew's going to call the coin. Whoever gets the coin is going to decide if they go first or second. Whoever does go first will then choose what category you answer a question in. If you get it right, the second person will then have the option of answering the same category to force a second overtime where the two teams will switch sides, or they can answer a harder question and go for the win. If the first person misses their first question, the second person gets the opportunity to hit any question they want to win the matchup. So, uh, Andrew, you have heads or tails on the coin. What would you like? Tails. All right. It is heads. So, Colton. You have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second here in first overtime? I'll go second. All right. So that means, Andrew, you are going to stay going first here, at least for the first overtime. Uh, what category would you like to answer a question out of? Medium. Okay. We're going to go to medium. 
Uh, Andrew, Kansas led 35-17 to into the fourth quarter, but eventually lost 36-35 to on the road against what Big 12 South opponent in 2006? Texas. It was the Baylor Bears. The Baylor Bears, 06. They're up 35-17 in the fourth and lost by a point in the end. Okay, Colton, all you got to do is answer any question you want. What round, uh, what category would you like to answer a question out of? I'll go with the easy. All right. All right, here's your question, Colton. First name, Dorrance. This Jayhawk defensive end was all Big 12 second team. In 2017. Um, Earl Bostic Jr.? No, the correct answer this time is Dorrance Armstrong. And Andrew, you have new life. But now, we're going to switch back sides. Colton, you have to go first in overtime number two. So, uh, you have the option. What do you want to answer a question out of? I'll go with the medium. Okay, medium for you, Colton. John Cornish ran for 80 or more yards in all but one game in the 2006 season. The only game below saw him rush for just 55 yards in a 42-32 home loss to what Big 12 South opponent? Uh, Texas. Now, this time it was the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. All right, Andrew, what would you like to answer here in double OT? I'll try for the field goal, Derek. All right. Andrew, first name Jacory. This Jayhawk corner was named all. Okay, that is right. Jacory Shepard, all Big 12 first team in 2014. You come through with the win, you had to sweat it out. Uh, this is your lowest scoring week, but you found yeah. a way to grit through. Uh, take me through. You're in the playoffs now. You won your division. What are your thoughts? Man, um, well, good work to, to uh, Colton there. Uh, I think you kind of let me off the hook on the uh, on the Dorrance Armstrong question oh, yeah. there. Um, so we'll take it however we can get it. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Colton, um, what what'd you think about this whole event? What'd you think about your performance today? Oh, well, my performance today was rough. I think both of us were, were rough today. When I heard he scored like 25 points in his <laughs> last event, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a shot. And here we were giving each other opportunities. But I, I thought it was good. Did it all for Johnny's, so shout out to Johnny's, and I, I liked it. Um, I haven't, I really went in low, low ball because I didn't watch college football back in like the t- 2010s until I decided which college I was going to. So it was a good learning opportunity uh, to kind of get to know Kansas football a little more to know our history so yeah i liked it a lot 
Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys both being a part of this. Colton, like you said, you're you're not going home empty-handed. Some Johnny stuff. Andrew, you got a you got a chance to rack up a bunch of prizes because you're in the playoffs now as uh the division winner. Guys, we appreciate you both being a part of this. And Andrew, see you next week, man. Thanks, guys. So Andrew comes through. Uh that yeah. was more uh, you know, of that just grinding your yeah, way through, that right? Was a slug fest. Yeah, that, that was that was pure will and that determination. That was Alabama LSU nine to six. That <laughs> yeah. was uh, you know a great defensive performance. However you want to look at it, but still a, a really quality matchup. Uh, shout out to Colton. He was he did great in his in his performances in trivia. And Andrew's moving on to the playoffs now. So, but listen, Andrew, he's definitely not going to be a top eight seed. I don't think, right? Andrew, he, oh, he'll be a top no, he eight. Won his, We're giving the division winners top eight. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he won his division. He won't be a top four. Is what I meant. to say. Right now, sitting in the clubhouse, Blake Farrell sitting three and zero. Kyle Martin's two and one, so he has the same amount of points actually as Andrew, both two and one with twenty eight points. So I guess it's possible okay. they, they maybe could eke, eke into that like four seed. But we have Eric Hansey going later today. We have Justin Nichols going later today. Kevin Coker's going later today. We still have Jackson coming up tomorrow. Isaac coming up. Ryan. So there's a lot of people that could contend. It's probably yeah. more likely at this point that he'll be in the bottom half and will have to play in that first round. But you know, he he is in the playoffs. All right, RCST Football Trivia. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back into RCST Football Trivia. We are brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, celebrating their 70th year anniversary this year. Check out the original location in North Lawrence, where you can be a part of the neighborhood porch, or any of your nearby Johnny's from any of their 13 locations in Topeka to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri. You can try all the great food and the great beer, including the new Blue Collar Lager, a beer you can only get at Johnny's, brewed by Free State Brewing Company. This is uh, fourth-ranked Eric Hansey versus Nathaniel Abeda. Eric's been off for a week. Any worry about rust? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting question. You know, we, we have guys that are going to get a first-round buy. Does the buy help or hurt? It's mm. the age-old question. Rest would you rather, rust. yeah? Would you rather keep playing and keep that momentum going or whatnot? In the case of Eric, we had some scheduling issues last week, so he is going to have to play two games today. So we'll see how much that impacts his performances. And uh, I, you know, Eric is a great performer, so I think he'll be fine. But uh, I'll be curious to see how he does. All right, let's get into that first matchup. So Eric Hansey has a double header today. So will Kevin Coker, as we had to have a uh, remake from last week, which makes it very interesting day for Eric, who is ranked fourth here. He's taking on Nathaniel Abeda in his first matchup of the day, and Nathaniel looking to get off the Schneid. Now, I think it's going to be tough for a one and two team to make the playoffs. I haven't completely ruled it out yet. I haven't gone through all the math, but certainly tough after yesterday. We had a couple two and one teams, nonetheless. There is still a pride element here. There is still the, you know, just wanting to feel good about yourself going into the offseason. So let's start with that, Nathaniel. Again, I don't know. Maybe maybe you still do have a shot at the playoffs. But at the very least, what is your level of wanting to win this game, even though you're 0-2 to this point? Well, the performance hasn't been great so far. There were rumblings of a players-only meeting <laughs> and uh, hoping, to get, hoping to get one in the win column this week. All right, well, uh, you're, you're facing a tough opponent. So, I mean, I guess if, if you can win this one to go out on the season with against a top-five opponent, that could be a springboard you're looking for into next year. Eric, you have a doubleheader today. Has there been any thoughts in your mind about, you know, having to preserve energy here in this first one at all to, to maintain uh, that readiness for game two? Yeah, I think that would take maybe a little arrogance to feel that way. You got to get one and zero is great, but uh, as you just kind of mentioned, two and zero is really the important thing to get to, and uh, you, you can't be putting anything to granted in that case. So, going all out right now, and uh, we'll we'll let the chips fall where they may, depending on the third matchup. Okay, well, uh, let's get into it, Nathaniel. I'm going to give you the coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, you burned me on heads last time, Derek. Let's go tails. <laughs> all right. 
It is tails. You want it this time. You want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, I'll go second. Okay. So, Eric, you're going to be up first. We'll start in the first quarter. These are worth three points. Nicknamed Fish, this KU safety led the 2015 team with over 100 tackles. Uh, Fish Smithson. That's right. And uh, if you wanted bonus points, I won't count this against you. Do you know what his actual first name is? I just assumed Fish after all these years. That's right. Uh, His actual first name is Anthony. Fish sounds a lot cooler. Okay. Nathaniel, your first question. First name, Steven. This KU receiver was named all Big 12 honorable mention in 2017. Steven Sims. Yep. Steven Sims is the right answer. He's had a nice little handful of years in the NFL. Productive career there. Probably made some good money. All right, it is uh, three to three as we head into the medium round. Second quarter, these are worth six points. All right, um, this one to you, Eric. Following Glenn Mason, but before Mark Mangino, was KU's coach from 1997 to 2001. He went 20 and 33. What's his name? Terry Allen. Yep, Terry Allen, that did not uh, go too well for KU during that time. Nice guy, though. Nice guy. Okay, uh, 9-3 to three the score. Eric, you're in front. Nathaniel, let's see if you can match it. Your medium question. This former Kansas All-American quarterback was the offensive coordinator for the Jayhawks from 1979 to 1981. He also later worked in the athletic department. And he was David Lawrence's of the Jayhawk Radio Network. He was his offensive coordinator at KU. What's his name? Uh, James? You had it uh, about a decade off. John Hadel. John Hadel was the right answer. The former All-American quarterback and uh, future offensive coordinator and worked in the athletic department, all that sort of stuff. All right, 9-3, to Eric, you lead it headed into the second half. This is the hard question. These are worth seven points. Akib Tlaib finished his career wearing the number three uniform, but the 2004 season had Charles Gordon on the roster. So during that year, what number did Akib Tlaib wear? No idea. <laughs> 21 is 21. Had the first digit right. It is 28. Kind of an odd number for Akeem Tilly. It's hard to picture him in that jersey number. All right, Nathaniel, if you can hit this, you take the lead headed into the fourth quarter. Your question. Steven Sims finished his KU career wearing the number 11 uniform. But in the 2015 season with Trey Parmalee on the roster, what number did Steven Sims wear? Can you repeat the question, Derek? Yes, Steven Sims finished his career wearing the number 11 uniform, but in 2015, what other jersey number did he wear? Hmm. 17? Ah, you were one off. It was 16. The right answer on that one. Both of you guys just one digit off. All right, it is nine to three. Sigh of relief there for Eric. We head to the really hard round. If you can hit this, Eric, you clinch the victory. And uh, this is obviously a non-conference matchup, I should mention. So your second matchup will be the one for the division here. Uh, Okay, your question, Eric. In KU's 
2014 loss to West Virginia, 33-14. Three Jayhawks threw a pass. Michael Cummings, Montel Cozart, and who else? (laughs) (laughs) This is a good KU torture question. I feel like it was some random transfer that they had that was supposed to be good and sucked. Um, <laughs> I don't know why his name is in my mind. Uh, TJ, is it Mil- Milweed? Milweird? That is correct. I don't know how you got around to that one. And you're right. He was a transfer from, I think, UCLA. Uh, UCLA, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, Eric, you clinched. That is an unbelievable hit there. Great job on that one, Eric. All right, Nathaniel, uh, you can't get the win, but it would feel good going into the offseason if you could hit this one, right? All right, so here's your really hard question. In KU's 2015 loss to Rutgers, 27-14, to who started at quarterback for the Jayhawks? Michael Cummings. I forget which quarterback, whoever was supposed to be the starter had like the stomach flu or something like that. The correct answer on this one was DeAndre Ford. DeAndre Ford, the right answer here. So there's some, uh, yeah, exactly. There's some uh, past KU quarterbacks, even among the past ones that we forgot. Eric, how did you get to TJ Milweird? Uh, well, I've been listening to a few of the past podcasts because uh, I was definitely overwhelmed the first first round and what to expect uh, and started looking up old box scores kind of made it back to about 2013 time frame, and uh, just started looking at rosters. So um, I, I remember, I do remember him being a, in that group of quarterbacks we had transferring in from, you know, power, really good colleges. And so, I mean, it was a guess that it was him, but uh, I know he was around that time frame just from looking at, at the rosters and the box scores. That's an incredible hit for you. And with a 2-0 and record with 33 total points, you're, you're probably looking good for the playoffs regardless of what happens in your next matchup. Uh, Nathaniel, I know it didn't go the way you wanted to over these three weeks, but uh, we hope we get you back for basketball and football. You, you won a game in basketball last year. We know you know your stuff. Uh, so, I, I don't know, thoughts on the offseason ahead for you? Well, Today shows you that uh, sometimes the narrative around players only meetings doesn't really follow through. So, uh, no, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, glad to participate. So, looking forward to future versions. All right, guys. Well, thank you for being a part of this. And Eric, we'll see you in a little. Awesome. Thanks. So Eric comes through with the victory. That was big to hit that really hard question. Seventeen yeah. points. So he scored thirty three through his first two matchups. He's two and zero. He's he's looking all the part of a, a top five team. Yeah, I mean, listen. There's a reason why we had the debate about who's the goat of trivia between Isaac and Eric, and that's because Eric is just a he's just a PTP mm-hmm. primetime player. Okay, let me ask you this: If you take into account football, if Eric wins in football, and they both even have though two they're titles? different sports, but yeah. one like who would you go with the goat? Would you go with the guy who let's say Eric even beats Isaac in the championship in football? Mm. At that point, where like <laughs> Isaac clearly would do well in football, and then have two titles in basketball, or yeah. the guy who has the all around well, knowledge of having I don't, one of each. You mean, I, I do you know. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but have Isaac and Eric ever played against each other? Yes, they played. Uh, I think they played twice. I think uh, one time they played in the Final Four, and then another time they played in the championship, and Eric beat Isaac. Okay. So they are they one and one against each other all time? Or are they two and zero? Oh, I could be wrong. Oh. It could just be the one. I don't know. It's either one and zero, oh, Eric, or one and one. I can't okay. remember. Okay, because that I you know I think that would matter in terms of the goat conversation, mm. right? Who's got the Who's got the better head to head record? That's fair. That's fair.
Although, uh, you know, Joe Burrow has the head-to-head over Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow can literally, no. (laughs) I was about to say something bad. Okay, well, I'm glad you didn't. All right, uh, more RCST trivia and uh, the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up next, though, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Uh, I want to start with some KU basketball before we get into some football talk here, Kevin. Did you have a any grand takeaways or thoughts about uh, any of KU's games and, and overall their uh, trip to Puerto Rico about, I don't know, anything that, that maybe changed your mind or added to an opinion that you already have on, on this team? You know, I, I think it was such a small sample size that it was, tough to draw, you know, a real lasting conclusion. Uh, I think, you know, self sort of exclamation that he had to, uh, to Greg Gurley at halftime of the first game where he was just kind of like, man, we're really fast, aren't we? You know, it was, was one of the main takeaways. You just saw how athletic they can be, you know, and, and it was interesting because I don't know that anybody necessarily played, you know, fantastically well for all three games, and yet, Kansas played relatively well in all three games because of the depth that they had. And that was kind of a takeaway that that I had. You know, you had three different leading scorers. I think Arterio Morris led them in the first game, had 20 points, and you had Hunter Dickinson scoring 28 on 11 of 13 shooting in the second game. And then you had Dewan Harris leading the team in scoring and topping that 20-point mark in the third game. And yet, with all of that said, you know, you could really see why Bill Self has praised Kevin McCuller so much as being, you know, maybe the team's best all-around player to this point. And when you have that many guys, that just helps you so much in March because, let's be clear here, Kansas knows how its bread is buttered, right? Like, Kansas wants to get the ball to Hunter Dickinson, and they're going to want to play through their All-America center. But at the same time, when you have several guys who are capable of stepping up on any given night like that, that that makes you kind of slump-proof a little bit in a way that 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 2019-2020 team kind of was in terms of you knew you were going to have Yudoka Azubuki at the end of the year, but maybe Isaiah Moss hit a few shots here and there. Maybe Marcus Garrett had a nice game. Maybe Christian Brown shot the ball fairly well. You know, Devon Dotson was a guy that, that did exceptionally well in transition. And then toward the end of the year, they sort of started to phase the offense over to Marcus Garrett, you know, a little bit in the half court in, in terms of the way he was able to run the team. And so I think Kansas has a lot of options for the way it wants to play and, and who's able to step up on any given night. Uh, Big 12 officially added Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. Do you have any ideas or, or maybe a favorite format for how things could work out with possible divisions, scheduling, that sort of thing? And do you think they should add even more at this point? Are there any other schools that you think would make sense? Oh, gosh. that's The, the first part of that, of that question is so far beyond my pay grade, Derek. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't know what it is that they tell you that I do over at 24 seven, but things like figuring out schedules and divisions and, and things like that, that. I just didn't know if you had that, someone that you that, saw that you figured, Oh, that sounded cool. Somebody with better organizational skills than, than I have. But, but no, I mean, I don't necessarily have a, 
a great format. I mean, you you figure kind of you know maybe the way that you're going to do it is is split into divisions. I don't know how exactly those divisions would play out how you would split those up you know in terms of how many games you're going to play against each division i i do think one of the interesting things and i think we've talked about it on the show before is the way that the pac-12 you know kind of combined road trips to make travel a little bit easier you know if you had a friday night game against arizona at arizona you probably had a sunday game at arizona state and so you would play a couple road games in a row, but they'd also be right next to each other. And so you're not in a situation from a basketball standpoint, at least where you're traveling and bouncing all over the place and you're getting jet lagged or, or anything like that. From a football standpoint, I really don't think it matters. And, and I think that that's one of the things that maybe gets over discussed a little bit is when USC goes to play at Rutgers, as USC is going to have to do it at some point, you know, they can head out there on a Wednesday night, or they can do something like that to to plan for it a little more and give a little bit more recovery time. I think where it really hurts and where you really have to be careful with the way that you plan is going to be in basketball. It's going to be in non-revenue sports. You know, Olympic sports, I guess, is the is the better term for it. And figuring out those travel challenges, I think, are, are going to be the headaches of, uh, of people much smarter than I am. Is there a basketball matchup or football matchup that you're super excited about now with the expanded conference? Yeah, I think everybody's got to be excited for Kansas, Arizona, you know, from from a uh, basketball standpoint. But I also think, Derek, it's it's intriguing from a football standpoint because you have two schools that are sort of thought of as football, you know, basketball first, excuse me. And yet you have two programs that are in, you know, heading into their third year with their coach. Both of them made a major jump from year one to year two. Arizona didn't go to a bowl, but Jed Fish did improve them, you know, from I think what were they one and 11, I think in his first year to five and seven last year. And so I do think there's room for growth in the new Big 12. And as much as everybody wants to talk about, hey, who's going to be the next Oklahoma and dominate the conference, I think it's just as interesting to talk about who's going to be sort of that Texas Tech from the mid-2000s, you know, a program that you know rises up from where it was, winds up winning eight games or so every year, maybe has a chance to be better if they have a year where they hit on a lot of different guys, have a lot of seniors, et cetera. And I think Arizona and Kansas are both intriguing in their own ways in that whole deal. I don't think anybody would say right now, hey, Kansas is the favorite to dominate the Big 12 in football. And I don't think they would say the same thing about Arizona. But when you look at the facilities improvements at Kansas, you look at the investment and the new coaching and everything at Arizona, I think that there are reasons to think, hey, both of these programs, if they hit their next few years right, potentially they could set themselves up to where they perform at a higher level with this new look conference than they did before. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, switching over to football, which will be uh, three weeks out from the start of the season once we get to Friday. 
Jalen Daniels uh, did not practice with the team on Monday. It looked like he was back at practice in, in some shape or form today. Uh, no way am, am I saying this is the case, but I think it does bring up an interesting discussion about, you know, the whole idea was going into the offseason, trying to make Jalen Daniels bulletproof. And even if it is a minor, small injury this early on, that is obviously a little bit scary because it's like, well, what happened there? Uh, just from a hypothetical level, if Jason Bean were the starting quarterback all 12 games, again, that, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to be the case or that's anything KU fans have to worry about. Um, just from a standpoint of viewing it from a perspective of how that would affect this team's level of play. If you were the starter uh, for every game of the year, how would that change your win-loss perspective for what this Kansas team would be? Yeah, I think the really interesting thing is is when you look at, at Jason Bean last year, he actually played pretty well. And, and I think where you saw the major difference between he and Jalen was Jalen tended to to kind of come through or, or make that play or two, or can't, or even if you wanted to just stretch it and say Kansas made that play or two that it needed to make in close games when Jalen was the quarterback, that maybe didn't happen, you know, when, when Jason Bean was the guy. And, and I think there's not as big a drop off as you would just look at it and say in a lot of starting quarterback to, to backup situations. You know, there have been some years where Kansas' starting quarterback hasn't been within a mile of what Jalen Daniels is right now. And I, I do think Kansas has, you know, one of the better quarterback rooms, if not just in the Big 12, but in the country in terms of having another guy that has that proven starting experience. He's won a Big 12 game. I think within the Big 12, only Texas Tech has that same thing where they've got a starting quarterback that they really like. And yet they also have a backup quarterback who has won a Big 12 game in his career. And so when you look at all of that, I do think it impacts, you know, projected record and things like that. I don't think it's the sort of thing where you say, oh my gosh, Jalen Daniels is out. Kansas is going to fall off a cliff now. I think it's very likely that Kansas operates at a pretty good rate you know, with Jason being in there, especially with all the offensive returnees around him and everything. It's just that Kansas doesn't have that feeling offensively that it can scrape when Jalen Daniels is in. When you look at that, you know, that Arkansas game in particular, you look at the fact that, you know, Kansas was going up and down the field sort of at will there at the end. And they were doing it while rotating through wide receivers. You know, you had a walk-on making a big catch. You had, you know, backups catching touchdowns and things like that. And I think that that's what Jalen kind of brings is that ability to elevate players, you know, maybe that little extra bit. And I think that's what where you say, hey, you know, with Jalen, is there a chance that is there a chance that Kansas wins more games? Yeah, but I think that even beyond that, there's it raises your floor as well as your ceiling having Jalen Daniels as your quarterback would be the short way to put that. I think the third string battle for, for quarterback becomes a little more into focus if you get to a standpoint of like, well, you run the quarterback a little, Jalen's had the past injuries. Uh, we, we only saw it briefly, but we did see it in a Big 12 game. Ethan Vasco came in last year. Uh, when you look at that third-string battle, you've gotten to see Mikey Pauley at kind of the prep level sure. before he came to Nebraska. Ben Easters, at, I think he was uh, at high school at, in Indiana uh, before he, he came to KU with uh, Brent Deerman kind of leading the patrol on that one. Uh, do you have any thoughts on 
on which QB you think would, would be best off as the third-string quarterback? You know, I, I think Pauly's probably got a higher ceiling. You know, I, I think there's a lot of talent there. He's a really good athlete. You know, he throws the ball pretty well, has a pretty solid arm. He can be accurate. I think the difference is, is that Ben Easters is maybe a little bit more polished, especially mechanically, you know, than, than Mikey Pauly is. But at the same time, I think if you're looking at those guys and saying, hey, you know, this isn't to be our third-string quarterback – you know, if something happens, you're you're going to need to go into the game and, and you're going to need to play well. You know, I, I would be very interested to see what Mikey Pauly did with that because I do think that there are some interesting things you can do with him as an athlete. And I think, you know, the size that he has, the arm that he has, like I said, I think there are things that he needs to, to continue to clean up. But I think Mikey Pauly is actually a – a pretty intriguing option for a guy that Kansas brought in, not even as a scholarship player. Last year, the position group that we went into the year offensively having the most questions about and maybe wondering if it was going to be a weakness was receiver because you had lost Kwame Lasseter from the year before. And uh, it's not that there weren't guys that you were interested in. There were last year and, you know, you, you felt like the cupboard was, was full. You just didn't have proven uh, I, I guess, guys uh, back in there in, in terms of collegiate production. Turns out that receiver group last year ended up being a strength of the team, and now you go into this year feeling really good about that position. Is there another position group along the lines of KU anywhere on the team this year that you go into kind of saying, yeah, I feel like I have a lot of questions there because I, I, I don't know if they've proven it, but that you feel like might actually be able to surprise us once the season starts? The, the most interesting position to me overall, uh, I, I, I think the defensive line as a whole is something maybe to bring up because I do think Tommy Dunn has a lot of potential and the fact that the fact that he's, you know, working with the ones and, and doing the things that he's doing at a young age, you know, from a defensive tackle standpoint is really encouraging. You know, Devin Phillips is a guy that's, that's been through quite a bit in terms of you know, being out on the uh, on the field in, in important situations, you know, at his uh, at his previous stop, and so I do think you know you've got interesting guys there. You've got more talent behind those guys with Gage Keys. You know, when you look at, at DJ Withers, I think what will be really interesting to watch and really honing in on your question here, I think Jeremy Robinson's got a chance to be great. As at one of the defensive end spots. But what we've seen, Derek, the, the last few years is that Kansas has had a really good defensive end, right? Whether that be Kyron Johnson, you know, whether that be last year, um, and, and Jeremy Robinson was kind of the guy, you know, that, that was that second guy. But you look at what they did in the portal, you know, from a recruiting standpoint and what they were able to, uh, what they were able to get when you look at Patrick Joyner, when you look at Austin Booker, when you look at Dylan Brooks and, and guys like that, I think there's a really good chance that Kansas is really good at defensive end next year with a really good sort of deep rotation of guys that they can run through. What is interesting to me, and I think this is where it relates to the receiver group, is what if those guys get there a half year early, right? Like what happens – if Robinson is the guy this year that I think he can be and somebody else emerges and you have that rotation, say, by game six 
where you feel really comfortable about these athletes and these rangy guys out there. I think that's kind of the position that like wide receiver, because I think wide receiver last year, there were some guys we were interested in, but we said they're a year away and they didn't actually turn out to be a year away. They, they hit their stride quicker than maybe we thought. And I think that defensive end is a position in that if things go right for Kansas, it, it could be very similar where we're looking at this thing, you know, six weeks into the season, eight weeks into the season, we're saying Kansas has a pretty good defensive end group. That's a position that I thought they were maybe weak at or maybe a year away from. It didn't take them that long to get there. All right, who is the local prospect of the week? Yeah, I'm going to turn to Lincoln Cure uh, this week. He is a 2025 tight end from out of Goodland, Kansas. And for those of you who don't know, Goodland is almost in Colorado. You know, it, it's so far west. It's about 4,500 people. But uh, Cure is 6'6", 215. And again, he just finished his, his sophomore year. He's going into his junior year. But he's the type of athlete that everybody wants at that tight end position. He plays basketball. He's a hurdler in track. He ran a 22-4, 200 meters as a sophomore. And so I, I think he's a guy that even though Goodland is is off the beaten path from a recruiting standpoint, you know, it, it's not like recruiters are going through Goodland every other day. I think he's going to be somewhat similar to Jaron Canick that we saw a couple classes ago where because of the track times and because of the frame and all of those different things, he's going to blow up and potentially even become a, a more national recruit because people are going to be drawn there, you know, not necessarily by what they see on tape, although what he puts on tape has a chance to be very good. I think it's going to be, hey, this guy's big and really fast. We we should go go get him. And I think – one of the good indicators, uh, as Fog.net Michael Swain pointed out this summer, Pure went to four camps. He went to KU, he went to K-State, he went to Iowa State, and he went to Missouri. All four schools offered him right away. So that, that kind of tells you, you know, hey, when people get eyes on this guy, you know, that he's going to go ahead and pull in those offers. Kansas did a really good job of, of impressing upon him when he came in. I know he worked some with Mason Fairchild uh, on certain drills and things like that. And so he's one to watch, not just for KU, but as a guy that could potentially really blow up as more track times come in and people start to realize the type of athlete this kid is at six foot six and, and continuing to grow. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work on uh, CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, and give him a follow at KFlaherty247 on Twitter. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on RCST. Two hours down, one to go. We got more RCST trivia and some KU football audio next. Five o'clock hour. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to have three more trivia matchups coming at you tomorrow, including a top five matchup. That should be a fun one. But we've got two more coming at you today also. We've also got some KU football audio. We'll get to you later this hour. RCST Trivia brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy with custom awards and engraving experts in Lawrence. Check them out online or on 6th Street in Lawrence again with Jayhawk Trophy. Uh, so our third matchup of the day is 10th-ranked Justin Nichols against Kevin Coker. Justin had a real nice bounce back in week two. Uh, Kevin, meanwhile, is along with Eric playing his second matchup. Thoughts on uh, this one? 
Well, this is Kevin's first matchup, and they're going to play each other in that in that fourth matchup coming up. So this should be an interesting one. You know, I, Justin Nichols, it feels like he's maybe powered up a little bit, so maybe he'll be ready to rock and roll because he's another guy that I think we would we expected to be in, in the mix for a top-four seed, for making a deep run in the playoffs, but he's got to get there first. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that being said, let's get into that first matchup between Justin and Kevin. Eric Hansey had the first of two matchups earlier today. Now Kevin Coker has his first of two matchups today. He's got two tough ones. He's uh, taking on two top 10 opponents, the first of which is right now with Justin Nichols, who is the 10th ranked team in our latest RCST trivia top 10 rankings. Uh, Kevin, I want to start with you. Uh, first of a doubleheader going today with this one followed by another one after that. Do you have to, I don't know, do anything different? Do you have to preserve any energy here in this first matchup to get ready for the second one? Yeah, I had two cups of coffee today, so I think um, it's as good as it's going to get for me. Okay, we'll see if those cups of coffee are the difference. Justin, how many cups of coffee have you had today? I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm at a disadvantage, mm. clearly. Okay, we'll see if that's the difference in this one. Uh, Justin, you had a great bounce back in week two from what you did in week one. Uh, do you feel like that momentum has carried over here to week three? I hope so. Uh, I, week one was was tough. Last week seemed more... Uh, you know, it's a lot of it, I always say it's a lot about just which questions you happen to get. And I got the right set of questions last time. And so hopefully that carries over this week and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, this is the 23rd Street Conference. It's still up for grabs. Eric's sitting at 1-0 and in league play. This will be Kevin's first conference matchup. Justin, you're 0-1. So, Justin, you need to win this one and then hope Kevin wins against Eric so that it's a three-way tie at 1-1 one and one and it goes to total points. For Kevin, if you can win this one, it would set up a winner-take-all with your matchup for Eric for the division. Uh, but obviously, beyond the division, you know, there's possible wild-card uh, opportunities to get in, and uh, whoever wins this one would get to their second win, which would put you in a possibly prime position to get there. So, uh, with all that being said, Coach Coker, you are the unranked team, so I'm going to give you the option on the coin. Do you want heads or tails? We'll do uh, tails. All right. It is heads. So, Justin, you have the choice. Do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? I'll go second, please. Okay. So that means Kevin will be up first, and we'll start in the easy round of questions. These are worth three points. All right, Kevin. With the first name Bill, this Jayhawk quarterback earned all Big 12 third team in 2003. Whitmore. Bill Whitmore. Yep. Bill Whitmore was a great dual threat quarterback, power runner, 4KU at the early stages of the Mark Mangino era. Okay, Justin, your first question for three points. With the first name Brandon, this Jayhawk fullback slash running back earned all Big 12 second team in 2006. McAnderson. That's right, BMAC. Always a great dude. Love seeing him around whenever we get the chance to. All right, three to three, the score. As we head into quarter number two, these are worth six points. It's the medium round question. Kevin, back to you. Todd Reesing threw three interceptions in a game three times. One of them came in 2007. One of them came in 2008. And another one of them came in 2009. Name one of the opponents he did so against that he threw three interceptions against in a game. Um, Mizzou. Nope. Nick, there we go. Correct answers on this one were Kansas State, which was the 2007 one. In 2008, it was Texas Tech. And then in 2009, it was Oklahoma. All right, Justin, you got a chance to take an early lead here. 
Todd Reesing's single game bests for rushing yards of 90 in 2006, 84 in 2007, and 79 in 2009. All three of those bests occurred against two different schools from the same state. Name what state or one of the schools. Well, my initial guess was Colorado, and that's probably not right. Um, Ten seconds. Uh, we'll go with Oklahoma. You talked yourself out of the right answer. The correct answer oh. was Colorado. He did it twice against Colorado, and then he did it against Northern Colorado in a non-conference game. Okay, 3-3 three to three the score. We head into halftime tied up. Hard round, seven points. This is a big one. Back to you, Kevin. On October 27th of 1962, Gail Sayers set his career best mark of 283 rushing yards against what Big 8 opponent? Iowa State. Oklahoma State. Is the answer on this one? Two hundred and eighty-three rushing yards. Absolute beast was Gale Sayers. All right, Justin, you got another chance to take the lead here this time in the hard round. We're seven. The least amount of yards that Kansas has ever given up to a conference opponent was thirty-five total yards in nineteen sixty-one against who? K State. I don't know if that was a complete guess, but you got the right answer. K-State, they only gave yeah, up. Ineptitude, a- is, it, it spans decades, so I figured it had to be that. <laughs> All right. Well, 10-3, to 3, you lead it. That means, Kevin, pressure's on you here to hit this really hard answer to try to go in front on Justin. Kevin, who scored the final points for KU of the Mark Mangino era? Desmond Briscoe. It was a kicker this time, Jacob Branstetter. He kicked the field goal against Missouri to go up 39-36. to 36. Those were the final KU points of the Mark Mangino era. Okay, so Justin, you secured the win here. That means you secured a 2-1 record. Now you're going to be rooting for Kevin against Eric in our next matchup. But you got a chance here to add some more points on the board as uh, currently with your, let's see, 10 that you have today, you have 29 total, which... At the very least, I will give you this. Of the teams that are 2-1 and one and are not division winners, that is the most so far. But you want to add as much cushion as possible here. Okay, so Justin, your really hard question. Who was KU's leader in extra points and field goals in the 2015 season? Wyman. It was Nick Bartolotta. <laughs> the right I don't answer. believe you. <laughs> Who? Uh, I think Matthew Wyman was, gosh, he might have been 2014 and 2016. Because um, Wyman obviously was the one who, who kicked the 2016 game with uh, with, with the Texas game. But yeah, 20, uh, 2015, I guess it was a, a bit of a kicker controversy to some regard because and uh, Bartolotta or Lotta or whatever, 17 of 18 on extra points. Wyman was 4 of 5, 
Bartolotto was four of seven on field goals. Wyman was two of four. So uh, the long forgotten name there of Bartolotta. Uh, so nonetheless, though, Justin, you come through with a 10 to three victory here. You secure a two and one record. You've got a solid amount of points here. I guess it's not a guarantee you get in the postseason, but I think you got to be happy with yourself these last two weeks, how they've gone after after the first week, right? Uh, yep, absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm kicking myself for not having just I knew I knew that recent question, and then I like you said I talked myself out of it because I remember the, the the long run against Colorado when he came in and in '06, uh, so I knew that was right. But you know you can't dwell on it on what you got wrong. Just just glad to get some right and good good opponent here today. And hopefully uh, hopefully this was just warm up for when he's gonna go in. You know, kick some butt in the next game. Yeah, Kevin, you still have another opportunity today, and if you can beat Eric, it would cause a three-way tie uh, for the division lead, to which I believe total points would be the uh, tiebreaker. So we'll have to uh, total it up in between our matchups here to figure out how that would all work out. But uh, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on, on quick, quickly being able to move on from this one into game two today? I'm going to go uh, grab another cup of coffee and see if that helps any. <laughs> All right. We'll see if that third cup's the charm. Guys, I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see you if we see you next week. Awesome. Thank you. Good luck, Justin. Good luck. Okay, so Justin comes through 10-3, to the final score there, which uh, we'll have to do some some tabulation. Um, It looks like to me that Eric – Justin can't hop Eric. He's behind him in total points. But I guess there are some uh, small ways, like or some small chance ways that Kevin could still surpass it. So it's looking good for Eric to win the division, but he also has the possibility of trying to get that number one overall seed to his name. And uh, you know, for Justin, either way, finishing two and one with twenty nine points, which among the players in the clubhouse who had, did not win their division, that gives us three two and one teams to this point. And if Kevin were to beat Eric, then it would add another one. Um, and Justin has the most points of the three between Aaron, Garrett, and Justin. So Justin's probably feeling pretty good right now. And if you're Aaron, you're sitting third among the two and one teams so far with still, you know, eight There's matchups, probably, I yeah, guess, to go or be, however many it is. There could be, you know, two or three more. It's a little scary. Teams. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, we'll see how it goes. But we do have one more matchup today between fourth ranked Eric Hansey and Kevin Coker. Before we get to that, RCST football trivia is brought to you by McDonald's. And Mr. D's Auto Wash, 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, and uh, 23rd Street Brewery in Lawrence, which I think I said twice for some reason. Nonetheless, doesn't matter. We love our sponsors all, no matter what. Uh, here is the uh, final matchup of the day. All right, second matchup of the day for both these contestants, fourth-ranked Eric Hansey and Kevin Coker. Uh, this is the 23rd Street Conference. We also had the Brewery Conference going today where uh, Andrew Wymore was able to uh, clinch the division there. Now, in this one, because Justin Nichols beat Kevin, that means that uh, Kevin would have to win this game, and then you'd have a three-way tie of one-in-one teams between Eric, Kevin, and Justin if Kevin can win. So from that point, because one would have beaten the other and the other would have beaten the other, it would just go to total points. The beauty for Eric, now I believe I might have got Justin's hope up after tallying the points, uh, Eric already has more total points. He has 33 than Justin's 29. So Eric cannot be passed by Justin. Kevin, you have 12 points, which means for you to win the division, Kevin, you need to not just win today. You need to have a perfect score. You need to get all 24 points and hope Eric gets three or less, and then you could win the division. Otherwise, Eric, if one of those two things doesn't happen 
or if you just get six points or more, you clinch the division at the very least. But beyond that, Kevin, there obviously is uh, an impact on, you know, trying to make it as an at-large, even if you can't win the division. So obviously a lot on the line here. And I'll add one extra caveat for you, Eric. You are 16 points behind Blake Farrell, who's in the clubhouse at 3-0 and with the most total points at 49. So if you can score 16 points, you would be tied with Blake for the most total points, and then it would just come down to our top 10 rankings. If you can get 17 points like you did in your earlier matchup, you would currently be the number one overall seed in the clubhouse, and you could only be tied by Jackson Schneider at that point if he has a perfect score. So uh, that kind of hopefully explains some of the stuff that we have coming up here. But most importantly is just this matchup. See where it goes and see where the chips lay after that. Uh, Kevin, first up for you. Did you have your third cup of coffee? We'll see if it helps. It didn't help me much in the first round. <laughs> okay. Eric, have you had any coffee today? Uh, yes, max amounts of coffee and uh, got a pop brew and refer to refill right after this is over with. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Kevin, I'm going to give you the coin toss again. Do you want heads or do you want tails? We'll do tails. All right. Tails it is. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. Okay. And then Eric will be up second. We're going to start in the easy round of questions. These are worth three points. First up for you, Kevin. KU's final win of the 2006 season came 39-20 to over what opponent thanks to three Josh Freeman interceptions? 2006. Um, we'll say Iowa State. Josh Freeman was the former Kansas State quarterback who eventually was a uh, first-round pick. All right, Eric, you got a chance to take the lead early on here. One of those interceptions that Josh Freeman threw, as well as three pass deflections, came from what KU star corner and fellow future NFL first-round draft pick? Uh, well, he wasn't number 28 at this point, as I now know, but Aqib <laughs> Tlaib. That's right. Yeah, if you want to get a uh, kind of retro jersey, you should get a Aqib Tlaib 28 jersey. That's how people will know that you're a diehard Die hard a real KU fan. No, people would just not know who, what, like, they wouldn't <laughs> well, even know what you're doing. You get Tlaib written on the back. All Maybe. right, back back to Kevin we go. 3 nothing. Now, uh, Eric, by fact of Kevin missing his first question, you have clinched the division. So uh, congratulations on that, Eric. But obviously you're going for total points here, and so are you, Kevin. You're, you're trying to get in as uh, an at-large, possibly. Okay, back to you, Kevin. Medium question. Worth six points. In KU's 2022 win at West Virginia... What Jayhawk led the team with 85 rushing yards? I believe it was Jalen Daniels. It was Jalen Daniels. Good hit there. Good response for you to get those six points. You take a 6-3 to three lead. Let's see if Eric can go back in front. In KU's 2022 win at West Virginia, what Jayhawk led the team with six catches and 66 receiving yards? Lawrence Arnold. There's another guy. Luke Grimm had the right answer on this one. All right. So we'll move to the hard round. Eric, you'll have to get these last two questions right to have a chance at getting the uh, most points. But uh, currently, Kevin has the lead at six to three. Kevin, your question in the hard round for seven points. Following interceptions by Akib Talib and Chris Harris. What other Jayhawk joined the party in the fourth quarter of the 2008 Orange Bowl with the third and final interception for the KU defense? Uh, 
When, was it McDougal? This one was Justin Thornton, who was uh, another one of the safeties on the back wow. end. Had himself a nice little career for KU and helped them win an Orange Bowl. Okay, Eric, your hard question to try to push you back in front. In KU's 2005 Fort Worth Bowl victory over Houston, what Jayhawk defender recorded a 14-yard pick six to make it 35-13 to in the fourth quarter? But Charlton Keith? That is right. I didn't know if you were going to be thinking of defensive line when you think of pick six, but that's right. Charlton Keith, the big defensive end, had a pick six. Okay, so that keeps Eric alive to uh, possibly usurp Blake in total points here at the top as uh, he currently leads 10 to six. Kevin, let's see if you can get this one to try to get a victory here and finish off two and one on the season. Your really hard question for eight points. Who is the lone Kansas running back to have earned the conference's Offensive Newcomer of the Year award doing so back in 1980? Um, Eric Green. This one was Kerwin Bell. Kerwin Bell had a nice little career for uh, KU. He had a great first season. Then you look at the stats after that. Kind of dropped off a little bit, but still good career. All right, well, uh, Eric, you have clinched the win. That means you're going to be 3-0. But again, uh, if you want to get the number one overall seed, I don't know how much it matters because you're in good position to at least get a first-round bye, be a top-four seed either way. But you want to get that number one overall. It looks good. Maybe makes your path just slightly easier. I don't know. Okay, your question, Eric. This Jayhawk linebacker, earned AP second team all-american honors in 1984. Ooh. It was a linebacker question last week. Uh I mean I feel like linebackers 80s Willie Pless. That was a good educated guess cuz you nailed it. Willie Pless is the right answer. He was that all-american <laughs> linebacker in the 1980s. Curtis Moore was our question from a week ago, and that is big time for you. You go two for two on the really hard questions today. You collected a total of 35 points over your two matchups, and that gives you 51 points over the course of the first three rounds, which just usurps Blake with his 49 for you to technically be the one seed. Again, I don't know how much of a difference there will be between the one and the two seed. Uh, I believe Jackson Schneider can still get up to 50 max, so I do believe that actually clinches you with the number one overall seed. Congratulations. Appreciate it. Much surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you did not think you were going to do this well in this tournament coming in, so this has got to feel pretty good, right? It, it does. I, I, you know, I, I, I've learned it on the basketball side. Listen to the podcast. Good plug for the podcast and uh, figure out where you guys are kind of pulling some questions from. Do the work. I, Like I said, mentioned you, you said the name of the linebacker. I, I would not have remembered that, but I remember seeing Willie Pless's name looking at that. So, um, Definitely getting a first-time glimpse at the KU Football Media Guide. <laughs> Kevin, were there any questions that if you would have had Eric's, they would have gone your way? No, no, no. I should have gotten the Josh Freeman one. I'm I'm mostly embarrassed for me on that. Um, obviously, Eric's pretty good at this. So, um, And I'm going to have to go back a little before 2007 season and, and do my, my research on some stuff there because um, those ones are – Pretty missed for me. I'm just throwing out names that I'm somewhat familiar with. 
There we go. Well, guys, I appreciate you both being a part of this. And uh, Eric, we'll see you. I guess we won't see you next week because you'll have a bye for the playoffs, but we'll yep. see you in a couple weeks here. Even better. Thanks, guys. So, Eric, man, I don't think anybody has scored exactly 18 points wow. this year. And he's also, he, that was two really hards today. That's what two I'm saying. Two really yeah. hards in one, in one game. But 18 is one, a very uh, unique score. Day. Usually it's like the uh, contestant will get one of the hards or the really hards. But he got yeah. both of them. Yeah. But then he missed the medium, oddly enough. Yeah, and you no, know, he's just a he's just a competitor, and he's just a guy. The thing with Eric is like, I think if going back to that discussion of between him and Isaac of who's the best, Isaac might be overall the best, but dude, in the clutch, Eric might be the best. Mm. I'll go. I'll say that. Okay. Okay. So you're like Eric to you is your Tom Brady, and Isaac is Peyton Manning. Uh, is that what I'm gathering vibes of? Basically, what you're saying. I. Well, no, be well. I guess I don't know. I don't think that's. No, nah, I don't know. Okay, you, so you, you don't even know what you're you're throwing saying. me off. Why? Why am I throwing you off? No, I just, I just, I, I don't, I don't think that's the comparison I'm going for. But okay. they, you know, they're two great, two great players. All right, that's fine. But that means Eric three and zero, so he is the number one overall seed right now. Blake Farrell's the two seed. Uh, Blake, no matter what, the lowest Blake could get is number three. So Blake does have a first round buy secured. Eric has a first-round buy and the number one overall secured. The only way Blake could drop to three as opposed to two, Jackson Schneider, who is uh, going tomorrow, he has 26 points. So if Jackson can have a perfect week, he would hop Blake by a point. I don't know how much of a difference there is, to be honest, between if you get one, two, three, or four. I think the bigger deal is if you're four as opposed to five, six, seven, or eight because yeah. you get an automatic advancement. Need the, the buy. Yeah, need the buy. Right. So that becomes important to that regard. But uh, Eric has proven his worth, man. He, he didn't know what to expect entering into this thing. He he kind of was a last-minute entry that was like, ah, I guess I'll do it. Like you know, And he has uh, turned into one of the best competitors and secured <laughs> himself some nice prizes already to this point. All right, that's going to do it for uh, today's edition of RCST Trivia. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available. Check out the outdoor patio. It's been a little bit nicer weather-wise the past few days, not uh, 100 degrees. Try the Bill's Up mac and cheese, Haney Turkey Stack, any of the other great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. we got some KU football audio with some offensive linemen coming up next. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.